0: This is episode number 67 with Sahara Rose. The Melissa Ambrosini Show. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating. Before I introduce today's guest, I want to remind you that you can now order my second book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex. And all you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash open wide to pick up your copy today. And on that page, you can also get access to my free online open wide masterclass that Nick and I created just for you. Sahara Rose is the author of the number one best-selling Ayurvedic book in the world, The Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, and has been called a leading voice for the millennial generation into the new paradigm shift by Deepak Chopra. I mean, no biggie, right? He also wrote the foreword to her book. I know, how cool is that? She is also a certified Ayurvedic holistic and sports nutritionist, passionate about bridging ancient Ayurvedic healing wisdom with modern nutritional science. And she is also the host of The Highest Self podcast. And in today's episode, we chat about what is Ayurveda, her story and journey from being unwell and unhealthy to thriving, how she got her guru Deepak Chopra to write the forward to her best-selling book, This Story is Hilarious, the three different doshas and how to work out yours, how to rebalance your doshas, how your dosha is connected with your life's purpose, plus so much more. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes, and that is at melissaambrosini.com forward slash sixty seven. I am so excited for you guys to hear this episode. It is a goodie. So let's bring on the one, the only, the super gorgeous Sahara Rose. Sahara, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have this chat with you. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Oh, it's
1: amazing when you listen to a podcast so much and you know the first question, so you came prepared (laughs) um, for. I actually don't typically eat breakfast. I like to fast um, because of what my dosha is, which we'll go through. But I just drank hot water with turmeric, black pepper, ginger, and
0: ashwagandha. Mm, that sounds delicious. Yes, really good. So I have had Dr. Stephen Cabral and Laura Plum on the show, and they have both spoken a little bit about Ayurveda, and it is such a topic that I love, and I'm so passionate about it, which is why I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today But for those who have never heard about Ayurveda or really know what it is, can you please explain it to us in layman's terms? Ayurveda is the world's oldest health system. It originated
1: in ancient India over 5,000 years ago, and it's the sister science of yoga. So a lot of us, we practice yoga to be more healthy or more balanced or more flexible or release anxiety. But really, when we're practicing for any health reason, we're truly practicing Ayurveda. So yoga is the practice of becoming one with source. It's a spiritual practice, whereas Ayurveda is a mental and physical practice. It is used to heal your body, to balance any stress, and also to fine-tune your system with nature, because according to Ayurveda, we are a reflection of the natural elements, just like in Chinese medicine. It's based off of these elements, and we each have different amounts, which are called the doshas, which we'll definitely go through very deeply in this episode. So essentially, Ayurveda is an integrative health system from India.
0: Okay, great. Now, how... Did you get into this? Like, where did it all begin? Like, did you grow up in a family where it was practiced? Like, how did you get into it?
1: Not at all. I grew up eating junk food. I was, you know, the junk food queen. I would eat McDonald's and Taco Bell and all the things. And When I was about 12 years old, I had really bad asthma. I was overweight. I couldn't go outside. I literally, every time it was recess and the kids went to play, I had to sit outside the principal's office because I would get asthma attacks. So at that age, I knew I needed to lose weight and get healthier. So I saw a nearby hot yoga studio and I read in you know Cosmo magazine or something that yoga can help you lose weight. So I was like, okay, I'll go. And I started going and realizing that, oh, wow, this is more than a physical practice. There's so much more to this. So I started reading books by people like Deepak Chopra and all of these different things and getting more acquainted with Vedic philosophy. And then as I got healthier and I felt better, not just physically, but also mentally. So I went down the path of, you know, researching and getting healthier. And eventually I became a raw vegan. So I thought that being a raw vegan is like the ultimate pinnacle of health. Like what could be better than only eating raw fruits, vegetables, and that's seeds. And I lived in Boston, which is like freezing cold. It's like Antarctica, especially in the winter. So there I am drinking all the coconut water, eating pineapple and tons of leafy greens. And at the beginning, I felt really great. But after about eight months in, I started to feel really depleted. And I would get dizzy all the time. I would faint. I stopped getting my period for two years. People would just come up to me and be like, are you okay? Like, you don't really look good. You, you, you look kind of sick. And I'm like, how, how could that be? I'm eating all the smoothies. I'm having all the spirulina. And it kind of became an ideology for me. I was just so fixated on this is the way, this is what makes sense to me on paper. Cooking food kills all the enzymes. So being raw must be the best way. And I wasn't listening to my body telling me, this is not working for you. So at the time, I was volunteering in India, again, not working in a health-related field at all. And I decided to visit an Ayurvedic doctor while I was there because I had heard about Ayurveda. I, I also did IIN like yourself, and I'd heard about it, knew a little bit about it, but honestly, I didn't really trust it. So I thought it would be a fun cultural experience, see what the doctor has to say. And they started to ask me questions about my body and my dreams and all of these things that no one's ever asked me before. Like, No digestive doctor is going to be like, what kind of dreams do you have? Are you moving? Or is it really realistic? So all these weird questions. And the doctor essentially told me that my vata, my, my air and space energy were so out of balance that When I was 21 years old, I was already infertile. I was at risk of premature osteoporosis and arthritis and also early stage Alzheimer's. So my body was basically shutting down totally. And I wasn't listening to it because I was so fixated on raw vegan being the ultimate solution. So I asked the doctor, well, what do I do? All of these things you're saying sound true and I and I really want to fix my body. And the doctor's like, then you have to eat the ghee and the rice and the dal and the paneer and like all of these like really traditional Indian foods. And I was a vegan, so there's no way I was going to go from kale smoothies to butter and cheese and all of these things that they were suggesting me. So I kind of was like, I don't really know if Ayurveda is for me, put it aside. And he told me some symptoms that were going to happen and slowly... Through over that year, all of those things happened. And at that time, I tried to become my own doctor. I tried to be paleo. I tried to be macrobiotic. I tried to do everything in between. And finally, I was like, I put my hands in the air. I was like, okay, I'll just try some of this Ayurveda stuff. I'll see if it works, but make it my own way. So instead of, you know, doing ghee, I started to use. Coconut oil instead of doing lots of rice, I'd use quinoa. I sort of modernized it and made it more plant based. And I felt so much better. I realized that it wasn't normal to, you know, wake up in the middle of the night and to, you know, have insomnia. I thought everyone had this. I realized it wasn't normal to eat a meal and feel like you're eight months pregnant immediately after all of these things that I had just dealt with for so long were actually signs of my body that I did not know the language for. So I decided to go back to India and study Ayurveda, I ended up studying Ayurveda for two years. I graduated with a degree in Ayurvedic nutrition and cooking and I wrote my first book there called Eat Right for Your Mind Body Type. And flash forward two years later, the publisher Penguin Random House contacted me and I wrote The Official Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, which is now the best-selling Ayurveda book in the world and work with Deepak Chopra. and And modernizing Ayurveda has truly, truly become my path. I know that it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't gone through all those health problems myself. So that's how I got here.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that beautiful. That's just amazing story. And I can absolutely relate. It's very similar to my health story as well, hitting rock bottom and then really coming out and finding, you know, what works for me and what's right for me. But before we go into that, how did you get Deepak Chopra to write the foreword to your book? Like that is just what what an amazing achievement. You should be so proud. Tell us about that. Do you want the long story or the short story?
1: I want the long story. <laughs> okay. My whole life I obviously really looked up to Deepak Chopra since I was 12 and I was reading his books and you know really with the power of manifestation if you really say something it'll happen. So I remember just You know, talking to people, I'm like, yeah, like I just love Deepak Chopra. They're like, what? Like, why'd you bring that up? I was just always just talking about him, what he's doing, following him on social media. When I wrote the Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, I really believed oh the ultimate person to write a quote or something for this would be Deepak Chopra, but I didn't know how I would ever meet him or anything like that. It felt so out of reach. It felt like you know Oprah or something. So I was at a conference that a friend of mine invited me to, and it was a yoga science conference. He was not listed on the conference at all, and um, I was actually quite bored. It was like a very long sciencey conference of like here are the reasons why breathing is good for you. I'm like. I don't need to know the scientific reasons. I believe it. And it was about to be lunchtime. And I was actually planning on leaving right when they announced lunch and going back. And the announcer said, Oh, and a word from our sponsor, Deepak Chopra. And he walks on stage. And I was like, my spirit guide. Something came through me and was like, Girl, you need to go there and talk to him. This is your chance. Because I had tried, I had stalked his kids, I had done it, stalked everyone. So I literally walk through an auditorium of a thousand people. I walk onto a stage where I am not a speaker and I walk right no, up to him. No, you didn't. No, seriously. I walk right up to him. Was this while he was giving his speech? No, he just came on and he just said, hi, hello. Thanks everyone. And, and then they announced lunch. So he wasn't, I wasn't that crazy. And he was like talking. So he like, he wasn't really meant to um, be a speaker or anything there. He was just the sponsor. So he's kind of talking to people and I just kind of like walk up to him. And then when he's done talking to the person, I just went in there and I introduced myself and I just told him what an influence he's been on my life and how I wouldn't have been introduced to Ayurveda if it wasn't for his book Perfect Health, which came out in 1991 and that I wrote. The Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, and it's going to bring Ayurveda more into the mainstream, especially with the younger and millennial audience, and that I would love for him to look through it. So he said, okay. And he gave me his contact information. I remember just being like, oh, I have Deepak Chopra's phone number, like freaking out, freaking <laughs> out. And then he, we talked on the phone, which was crazy. And he said that he happened to be going back to San Diego and I live in Los Angeles. So we met. And then he kind of interviewed me, asked me questions. And it went well and since that day he's been so supportive. We did a 31-day challenge together up to the launch of my book Integrating Ayurvedic Wisdom. He just opened up a center in Pondicherry, India. It's an Ayurvedic healing center so we're going to be leading a retreat there and he's just been such a such a support and it, you know if you just go out there and you say what you want and you follow through with it the universe will will give it to you.
0: I love that story so much and just want to high five you for having the courage to go up to him and say that. Obviously, there was probably some inner mean girl stuff, but you just were like mastered her and you were like, I'm on a mission and I'm getting up there. So well done, sister.
1: Absolutely. It's like, You know, when you have those moments like, okay, I just have to jump in the pool. It's now or never. I got to do this. And something just came through me. And I'm so, so, so glad because probably 90% of me was like, oh, cool. That's Deepak Chopra on stage. And then just that 10% was like, you need to go do something about it. And I'm just so grateful that I mastered that mean girl and was able to go talk
0: to him. Good on you. And I'm so glad you did too. All right. So let's talk about the three doshas. Can you please explain these to us? Yes. So the doshas are like the bread
1: and butter of Ayurveda. The word dosha actually means energy. So they are essentially three energy types. There's three doshas, but they consist of five elements. And these five elements are air, space, fire, water, and earth. So they come together and create the three doshas. Vata, which is the first two, air and space. Pitta, which is fire and water. And kapha, which is water and earth. So everything can be described as these three doshas from the foods we're eating to the weather to our personality types, our digestive types. They're essentially language that we can use to better understand ourselves in the world that we live in. So we were each born with a combination of all three doshas. No one's just one dosha. We're all all three doshas, but in varying amounts. So some of us are born with more vata characteristics. So air, space, which is cold energy, dry energy. I'll go more into it in a sec. Some of us are born with more pitta energy, which is fire and water, both really powerful energies. And some of us are born with more earthy and watery energies, which is more relaxed and cooling. So it's not based off of your birthday or anything like that, like astrology is, but it's actually based off of your DNA. So you can tell by someone's physiology, by their digestion, by their metabolic rate, all of these different scientific indicators tell us what their dosha constitution is. So let's go through all three of them, and I'll kind of ask you some questions, and hopefully everyone listening can figure out what dosha they have. So people who are vata, I like to just call vata the, the wind dosha because it has the exact same qualities as the wind. So when you think about the wind, what qualities come to mind? Cool. Mm-hmm cold, it's, you know, it dry, it's dry, it's unpredictable. You never know which way the wind is going to blow. It can go one direction and the next. It's very changeable. Every day it's different. So these are essentially the qualities of Vata. So people who have a lot of Vata like mental characteristics. They have more airy personalities. So if someone's really airy, you think of them to be kind of like, you know, maybe one day they are really into one thing and the next day they're into another. Someone who's really airy might be at the same time really artistic, really creatively inclined. They are able to sort of see things bigger picture. So they're not stuck in the day-to-day tasks. They kind of zoom out and they look at things from a broader perspective. So Vata people are really imaginative. They are great idealists, philosophers, artists, musicians. Like your husband, Nick, is such such a Vata. And you can tell it's in his body as well. Um, But Vata people are essentially, they're, they're the philosophers, the artists. I like to think of it as Steve Jobs energy. So Steve Jobs was really just seeing the world in a way that most of us could not. So that's a kind of vata mental characteristic. So when it's balanced, it's creative, it's artistic, but when it's out of balance, it can be scattered. It can, you know, start a lot of projects and not end up finishing them. And when there's too much wind, it can end up being like a tornado. So anxiety and insomnia are all signs of excess vata in the mind. Now, the mind and body are connected. So if we have a lot of vata in our mind, chances are we have it going on in our bodies as well. So people who are vata tend to feel cold more often. They tend to have dry skin. Naturally, they don't tend to put on weight as easily. They tend to just be more lanky, skinny. They, they can be either short or tall. Um, high cheekbones, really defined. Um, you know, Nick is a perfect example. Like you can you can see his his bone structure. I like to think of ballerinas or marathon runners, very vata body types. Now, when we have a vata imbalance, too much vata going on, what can happen is we start to experience excess air in the system. So that can lead to gas, that can be constipation, that can be bloating. And when we think about these things, it's it's literally air, gas, bloating, constipation, it's cold, it's dry, it's air that's stuck in the system. So if you have a lot of those signs going on in your digestive system. If you feel thirsty all the time, your lips are always dry, your skin's always dry, maybe your hair is becoming brittle, um, your skin is aging more rapidly. These are all signs of a vata imbalance in the body.
0: Does that make sense? Totally. Absolutely. And as you're talking, I'm like picturing different friends. I'm like, yep, she's vata, he's vata. So yeah, it's, it's amazing. Keep going. Perfect. So now we have pitta. Pitta is comprised
1: of two elements that may seem like they're contradicting, but they actually are both very powerful, fire and water. There are no elements more powerful than that. So I like to just call pitta the fire dosha because that's really what the qualities are like. So if someone has a very fiery personality, what do you think they're like?
0: They might be a little bit aggressive. They might be sharp or like a bit snappy They also could be quite go-getters because they've got that firecracker up their butt, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You nailed it. So
1: fiery people, they know what they want. They're very goal-oriented. They're the type of people who wake up in the morning, they have an agenda, they have a schedule, and they really like to stick to it. And if they don't, if something throws it off, they can snap. So the fire is really good when it's pointed into one direction. But when the fire goes haywire, just like what we had going on in Los Angeles last month, it can turn into a disaster. So I like to think of... You know, Jennifer Lopez, she's she's very Pitta. She has a lot of energy. She's a great dancer. She she's still going. She's in her mid 40s and she has more energy than a 20-year-old. So she's a great example of a very powerful Pitta woman. But on the other hand, if there's too much Pitta, you can be agitated, you can be angry, you can be dominating, you know, a Pitta person if they don't get what they want, everyone around them is going to be unhappy. So we in the United States have an imbalanced pitta for president, Donald Trump. So he is a perfect example of someone who has a, a pitta imbalance going on, really you know, wants things his way. And you can also see in his body, he has a lot of, of rosacea, red cheeks, um, a lot of inflammation going on in his system, which shows the pitta going on both mentally and physically. So now in the body, too much fire. So If I had a really fiery digestive system, what do you think that would be like?
0: Mm, you'd probably like burn through a lot of food. Exactly. So in
1: Ayurveda, our digestion is literally called a fire. It's called an agni. So if we have too much fire going on, what happens is the food goes through our systems too fast that we might not absorb the nutrients from it. It could also lead to hyperacidity because... All of the acid that our stomachs are throwing at it just makes the food diffuse, essentially. And then that acidity can later on cause ulcers, GERD, different hyperacidity-related issues. So acidity, heartburn, all of that. I mean, it's literally called heartburn. It's a pitta imbalance. Um, loose stools are a pitta imbalance as well, or um, inability to urge going to the bathroom, all pitta. So physically, they also feel just hot all the time. If you're someone naturally who needs a fan or a, a cooler on all the time, you just have naturally more pitta in your system. I've, I've found in my practice that men tend to be more pitta in general than women, though not always the case. But it's typical that the man is always hot and the woman is always cold. So you, you see that going on. People who are naturally more pitta tend to put on muscle mass easily. They, you know, work out once and they're ripped the next day and they have a very sharp appetite. They need food. They wake up and they're hungry. They're, they're not going to intermittent fast. They, they need their meals and they can become really hangry if they don't get their meals in time. So sharp appetite, athletic. I'll walk through a yoga class and how you can tell what doshas every each person is in a yoga class. But a pitta is like, you know, they're at CrossFit, they're running marathons, they're doing really intense exercise, whereas the vata, the last dosha, it's probably like Dancing or, you know, doing some funky thing in the corner. Maybe she's not even into exercise. So you can just see by someone's natural inclinations what doshas they're higher in. So pitta, is sharp, fiery, goal oriented, but imbalanced can be aggressive, hyper acidity, loose stools, and just
0: overly heated. Does that make sense? Totally. Nick is so vata and I am so pitta. You're actually a Vata Pitta. We'll go through the two doshas,
1: but you have both going on because you are very, you're very structured and you've created this amazing business. But in your Prakriti, your natural born constitution, you definitely have the Vata, which is why you're just naturally really like creative person and your new book is like the creative side of you. So I think you two like really complement each other well.
0: Mm, Absolutely. I think so too.
1: Yes. So now the last dosha, kapha. So kapha is comprised of earth and water energy. I like to think of it as just the earth. So if someone has a really earthy personality, what do you think they're like?
0: Maybe like a bit slow or a bit like sluggish or even maybe dry to a degree. That's what I kind of think of. Mm -hmm. So someone
1: who's really earthy might talk a little bit like this. Mm. Ah, and they breathe really slowly. You know those people who they're like, yeah, they're really yeah. in their bodies. And you're like, okay, let's get to the point. Come on. And they're like, just meditating on each word. So that's kafa right there. And if you have more vats and fitta, you're like, okay, get moving. Um, so kafa is earth. It's, it's, War. It's it's motherly, you know. The earth gives. The earth is the provider. The earth is the sustainer. It's the life force, and that's really what Kafa is. I like to think of Kafa as grandmother energy, as Oprah energy. It's like you just want to like go into her arms and nestle up and just like cry about her your problems, and you know that she'll be there for you. Like that's Kafa right there. Like Kafas will hold it down. They can handle anything. They keep their cool and. And we all need a kafa friend. We need a kafa person around. Otherwise, the vatas and and pittas will just go crazy. So kafas, they are really calm. They're centered. They have more cool characteristics. So they're not as cold as vatas, but more cool. So let's talk first mentally. So mentally, as I mentioned, grandmother energy, Oprah energy, they're really good listeners. They can hold space for people. They're able to ask the right questions. You know, those those high mileage questions that you come up with the own answer. They don't need to tell you what to do. Just being around them, since they're so grounded, it instantly just drops you further into your body. So their chakras are are much, much lower. They're very root. They're very sacral. Even culturally, we can talk about different cultures, but the African culture, South American culture is very kafa, very earth, very primal. And you can see that energy going through with the ancestors. So kafa people, very chill cool as a cucumber but when what happens if there's too much of that going on is you can get stuck in your ways and you know you might have those same friends that you grew up with and not want to meet new people and you have your routines and you don't want to get out of them and maybe you you know are stuck in the past maybe you're thinking about that ex-lover or what could have happened. So, kaphas, when they're out of balance, they're really longing. They're, they're reaching into the past. So, kaphas mentally can be in the past. Pittas can be so in the present that they lose sight of the past and future. They can just get angry and erupt. And vatas are very in the future. They're always thinking about, oh, well, what's going to happen? The next step, they're futurists. So, you can even just see in the relationship with time in each dosha. So kafas need to get out of their rut. They need to try new things. They need to shake things up. Otherwise, they become too heavy. And that heaviness mentally can lead to overeating. It can lead to depression. Though kafas are the kindest, warmest, most loving people, they are the ones most likely to be depressed. So Robin Williams is a really good example of this. He made everyone around him so happy that no one could have known what was going on inside. So it's really important for kaphas to speak their truth. They can experience a lot of sinus issues, throats, phlegms, coughs, when out of balance. So if you have a lot of mucus buildup, it's a sign that your kapha is out of balance and you have to speak your truth, sing, dance, whatever, share share whatever wisdom you have locked inside yourself. Otherwise, you're going to experience that mucus and that kapha accumulation. Now, physically, that manifests in the body as well. They they can store fat really easily because, you know, fat is energy that we're holding on to. And when your body is in fear, you hold on to more fat. So kaphas have the hardest time losing weight. You know, they just look at what the vatas and pittas are eating and they're the ones who gain weight. Naturally, they are attracted to sweet foods. They're attracted to dairy. They're attracted to carbs because these foods make them feel more kafa, but it's the exact opposite of what they need. They need to break things up. They need more bitter. They need more spices. Um, things that may not feel. You know, warm and comfy. They're not comfort foods, but that's what they need because we're always seeking to rebalance our dosha with the other doshas that we're lacking in. Being overweight, being sluggish, being tired all the time, waking up, still wanting to sleep, feeling like you need to take a nap. These are all signs of a kapha imbalance. So I'm sure everyone listening was like, I don't really know because I can kind of relate to vata, kind of relate to pizza and kind of relate to kapha. So none of us are just one dosha. We are all, all three, but in varying amounts. So you know, like Melissa, your primary may be pitta, but you definitely have some vata too, or maybe it's vice versa. Maybe you're more vata. And right now you're just in this pitta stage because the doshas also change with age. When we're younger, we're all naturally more kapha as kids. um, We're building our bodies. And that's why kids always have coughs and phlegm and sniffles all the time. They're always getting sick. And then in our middle ages, we naturally become more pitta because we're you know creating our work out into this world. And in our older years, we become more vata because it's our final stages, and we become more dry and cold and wrinkly. And also, you know, like my grandpa's now a philosopher, he's decided. And in our older years, we get more in touch with that vata side of us. So we're not just one dosha. We are all three, but in varying amounts. Does that make sense so far?
0: Yeah. And I guess different periods of your life, you know, what you're going through, that's also going to affect where the imbalance could be. Is that right? Mm-hmm.
1: So in Ayurveda we have two different doshic constitutions. One is called your prakriti, so prakriti, and that basically is your natural-born constitution, what you were born with. It's like the deck of cards you were handed, having brown hair and blue eyes, etc. So that's your prakriti. So let's say your prakriti was primarily vata, secondarily pitta, lastly kapha. Mine, for example, was more kapha, secondarily vata, lastly pitta. Then in our life, maybe we value different things. Maybe we grow up in a colder environment or a warmer environment or, you know, the things that we're surrounded with change. So that will change our dosha constitution. That's called our vikruti. So our vikruti is our current dosha constitution. So for example, trying to run your own business, it's going to naturally bring up your pitta. If you don't have it, you won't be able to fulfill all the parts. So that's going to bring your pitta up. So maybe you're experiencing more of the pitta-related things, the pitta imbalances but it's because you're more pitta than you were naturally meant to be. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, so Ayurveda is not saying that you have to you know, go back exactly to what you are, but you just have to make sure that you're not out of balance. So it's really a system of balance. If you are experiencing an imbalance of pitta, you're experiencing the acidity, agitation, etc., then you balance your pitta. If you're experiencing the imbalances of vata, like coldness, dryness, etc., then you work on that. If you're experiencing the imbalances of kapha, you're gaining weight, you're feeling tired, you work on that. So it's not that you have to always be focused on what dosha you were born with. You're constantly bringing it back into balance based on where you are today.
0: Mm, I love that. So how can we catch when we're out of balance? Because often we don't catch it quick enough. So how can we catch it right at the start before that imbalance gets too out of balance, if you know what I mean? Uh
1: Totally. So it shows up in different different ways. So it's good to know what, what the imbalances of each dosha are. Digestion is a really good place to start. So if you're eating a meal and you're feeling bloated, you're feeling gassy, and you're constipated, immediately you know something something vata is going on. There's too much vata in your system. If you're eating a meal and you're feeling acidic, you're feeling heartburn, then you know pitta. If you're eating a meal and you just feel tired, you want to take a nap, that's kapha going on. So just from your digestion, it's a really good place to start. And then you can work your way towards, oh, well, now how do I feel mentally? Am I feeling more anxious? Am I feeling more agitated? Or am I feeling just kind of sad? And you can work on that. So focus on the dietary suggestions for your body and focus on the lifestyle and the meditation suggestions for your mind. It's not like you have to only do one. You can balance whatever doshas in your mind and and balance whichever one's in your body. It doesn't necessarily have to be the same. Mm,
0: I love that. So this not only affects our health, like understanding the three different doshas doesn't just affect our health, but it affects every area of our life, doesn't it?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, even just in relationships, you know, like Vata people, you can apply this to anything, but Vata people, for example, they may just be a little bit more aloof for them. They don't need to always express how they're feeling. They kind of expect the other person to just know. So this could be a problem. If let's say you're kafa and you really need to talk about everything. So just these different dynamics by knowing your partner's dosha, by knowing your friends and your colleagues doshas, you'll be better able to communicate with them. You know, the Vata person needs that freedom. They need their creative exploration. The Pitta person, they need a plan. They need to know, okay, what's going to happen. Otherwise, they're, they're not going to be okay. And the Kapha person, you just need to be a little bit more patient with them. Because if you come through with that Pitta energy, they may take it the wrong way.
0: That's so true. Because understanding this has really helped mine and Nick's relationship. You know, it's really, really deepened our connection. Because, yeah, he is a lot more Vata and and I am a lot more Pitta. So for me, I like to have a plan. I like to know what's happening. And for him, he can be a bit more free in that sense, but he's he also needs his real creative space and his creative time. And if he doesn't get it, it's almost like he feels out of whack if he doesn't have that time in front of his keyboard every single day. So it has really deepened our relationship. Often over dinner, you know, Nick and Leo will be sitting there and and Leo's very similar to Nick, got a very similar constitution, very Vata, very long, lean, long legs, slim. And, you know, I'll go and open the door. And they're like, what are you doing? Like, it's freezing. And I'm like, it's like the middle of summer here. And I'm like, my pitcher is a little bit heated. And they're there with socks on and a sweater. And, and I'm like, What is going on? But we're just like, we're just different. We're different doshas. And having that understanding can really almost, you can have a little giggle about it because you're like, oh, isn't that interesting that you guys are cold, but right now I feel like I'm overheating? Like just something as simple as that. No one's right or wrong. We're just different. And this also affects, you know, what you eat and the meals that you prepare for your family. So I just love all of this so much. So thank you so much for sharing. But I have another question. How does your dosha connect with your dharma, which is your life's purpose? Mm, Yes. So we were each born with a unique purpose
1: that only we can fulfill. You can call it your dreams. You call it your desires. So in Vedic philosophy, they call it dharma. Each of us were born with unique strengths, unique gifts, unique talents, and they're not an accident. They're not a coincidence. It's because that's exactly how we were meant to serve in this world. So for example, Nick, who's naturally more vata, obviously his music is a huge part of his dharma. He was given this talent of singing and creating music because he was meant to share it. For you, you know, leading a business, being a leader, being a thought leader, being someone that people look up to running, running things, managing things, you are given these strengths that naturally you can do it. You are the right person to do it. And that's why you desire to do it. Someone who's more kafa, like myself, I was naturally born with the gift to really be able to receive people, to be able to hold space for them, be able to listen to them. So for me, coaching was something that I always wanted to do. If I didn't have that patience, maybe I would have snapped at people or you know just thrown my hands up and walked away. So we were each born with the exact things that we need to do. So for a lot of people who are confused, what's my purpose? Just see what you're naturally good at. So Vata people who are more artistic need to be working in some sort of field, whether if they're not an artist, even if they're working at an ad agency or just doing something creative, even if it's in your free time. But a dharma is really taking that hobby or whatever it is and making it part of your greater purpose. Because when you're doing something part-time, it just kind of remains there. But when you fully dive into something and give it your everything the universe responds and it will show up in a much bigger way. So Vata people need to be channeling their creativity, Pitta people need to be channeling their leadership and Kapha people need to be working one on one with people, communicating with people because that's really how they feel special and important and that's what the world needs. If everyone just rose up and fulfilled their dharma, the world would come back into balance. So really all of the issues we're experiencing right now are because not enough people are stepping up to their dharma role. So If you don't want to do it for yourself, do it for the entire planet.
0: Mm, Amen, sister. Yes. (laughs) I couldn't agree more. And everything that you've shared is just so powerful. And we're going to link to your book, The Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, in the show notes so people can dive deeper into learning more about it if they wish. You know, I first picked up my First book on Ayurveda maybe six or seven years ago, and I loved it. I was so fascinated. So if you want to dive deeper into it, we'll link to your book in the show notes. Now I would love to turn the spotlight on you, beautiful lady, and find out what is bringing you the most joy in your life right now.
1: I'm finalizing my next book, which is a cookbook that I just shot in India. I just spent a month in India with no plan. I literally found photographers on Instagram and said, show me your village. I went to four different villages and cooked with them, ate with them, sat with them, and all of the photographies from there, and I'm putting it together. So it's bringing me so much joy, and I'm so excited to share this new book with you guys. It's a plant-based version of Ayurveda, and it's called Eat, Feel
0: Fresh. Ooh, beautiful. I can't wait to get that. That's amazing. And I really want to go to India. So when I do, I've never been, I will be hitting you up for all of your recommendations because Indian food is like my favorite food. Like Nick always jokes and says he thinks I was Indian in a past life because I'm obsessed with like Indian curry and ghee and just that more Indian food. And if I could be a food, I'd be a curry for sure.
1: That's amazing. I mean, you definitely were and you're so interested (laughs) in Ayurveda. Definitely had a
0: past life in India. I reckon I did for sure. So I'd love to hear now, Gorgeous, what is one thing that you're working on or would like to improve within yourself at the moment?
1: For me, my pitta is lower naturally. So organization is always my tough spot. So just being more organized, having a plan, sticking with it, hardest thing for me to do, but something that I see so much benefit from when
0: I actually follow through. So just being more focused, more organized, that's all I want. Isn't that interesting because people say to me how are you so organized and so focused and and I kind of look at them and I'm like it's so easy it comes so natural to me like it's it is so easy for me to be organized they they're like how do you do all of the things you do and I'm like because I'm organized so it's interesting that because of our different doshas that, you know, I I am more organized and, and you are less and it's something that you, if you have the awareness, you can work on and be mindful of. So that's why I love understanding these three doshas because you can pivot and you can become aware of your constraints and work on them and and know your strengths and then really focus on them and then work on the constraints so I just love this technology so much-
1: mm-hmm. absolutely my dad who's super pit I shared with him I'm reading this book called the magical art of tidying up and he read through it he's like you need to read a book to know this information like isn't this just common knowledge yeah. I'm like what this is like mind-blowing
0: for me yeah yeah
1: isn't that interesting I
0: love that so much. It was just encoded in your DNA. You already have the magical art of tidying up in your cells. (laughs) Absolutely, babe. And if you come to my home, you will see my home is like immaculate. I am like borderline OCD. No, I'm not really. But like I'm, I'm very clean and tidy and organized and everything in my house has a place and I know where everything is. And, you know, Leo will come in and he'll say, where's my such and such shirt. And I'm like, it's the third shirt down in your drawer underneath the, you know, like I just know where everything is. And Nick just laughs at me because he's like, that's your that's your pitta. Yeah. That's your pitta, your organized pitta. Well, pittas really, they, they're they very good with time. And for you, you know, being
1: organized will save you time in the long run. Whereas for vatas and Kafas, time isn't really that much of a priority. So your awareness of time is what makes you say, well, of course, things need to be organized. I don't want to waste time. That is me to a (laughs) T. All
0: right. So let's pretend now that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, besides your books, let's presume they're already in the curriculum. What is one other book you would choose? Mm. You know, I would just have them read
1: Osho, anything by Osho. Do you know who Osho is?
0: Yes, yes.
1: You know, he never wrote any of his books. They're all just his word, but just his perspective that spirituality is not sitting in a corner and, you know, depriving yourself of joy, but it's, it's light and it's dance and it's singing and it's song. And these are all spiritual experiences. I think the world really
0: needs to hear that. Mm, I absolutely agree. Now let's talk about how your day looks. Do you have a morning routine that is right for you and your body type? And if so, what is it? Because I love hearing about how people prime themselves for the day. And this is going to be different for everyone. And so I just want to hear your perspective on how you set yourself up for the day. Mm, Yeah. So morning routines are so important in Ayurveda because
1: the way you start your day is the energy that you're going to have for the rest of your day. So For me, um, I wake up and I practice some sort of yoga, even if it's on my floor, just to open the body because when the physical body is tight and stuck, so is the mental body. So I open up the channels of my body so my mind can become more open. Um, I love tongue scraping. After I brush my teeth, I scrape my tongue. So a tongue scraper is a little U-shaped device that you actually um, remove the white stuff on your tongue. In Ayurveda, it's called ama and it's a toxin. And if you continue leaving the ama on on your tongue, it's like you're absorbing bacteria and, and toxins and it's going to manifest into digestive issues. So I tongue scrape, I oil pull, which is essentially Ayurvedic mouthwash. It's just swishing oil in your mouth. You do not have to do it for 20 minutes. A lot of people think you have to do it for 20 minutes and that's not a thing they said in Ayurveda. You can do it for three minutes, five minutes, however much you want. But essentially when you use antibacterial mouthwash, it kills everything, the good and the bad bacteria, just like an antibiotic does. Um, Whereas with oil, it's much more gentle. It just removes the bad bacteria, just like If you're cleaning a wood surface and you use oil, you can get much more deeper into the pores versus using water. So with your mouth, it's the same way. It can go deeper into the pores of your gums and your tongue and remove the bad bacteria while still keeping the general pH in balance. So I oil pull. I love dry brushing. So that's a little dry loofah that you use to scrub the dead skin cells off your skin, always going in long strokes towards your heart. So on your arms, your legs, your stomach, your back. And then I'll put oil on my body. It's something called abhyanga, which is a self-oil massage. People are like, well, how much time do you have? It really doesn't take that much time altogether. You know, altogether, it could take like 20 minutes, which is like how much it takes to strain people's hair. But really just doing those things, the the tongue scraping, the oil pulling, the dry brushing, and then putting oil on my body really just makes me feel so nourished, so awake, so rejuvenated, and I do the same thing at night and it's a really good way to kind of, you know, it's like foreplay. You have to foreplay with your body to sleep and, and wake up because it's two very different energies and you have to allow yourself to
0: get there to fully receive. I love that. Thank you for sharing. I have been tongue scraping for about eight years and I absolutely love it. I look forward to doing it. I don't know. I just feel like so cleansed. I love it. And I do oil pulling with coconut oil every morning as well. I love it. Such a nice little ritual to do. I also do dry body brushing. But it's interesting because at different periods in my life, that has been too aggravating to my Vata. So, you know, especially in winter, if I'm feeling really out of balance, my Vata's out of balance and I'm feeling really dry, that dry body brushing was too aggravating. So yeah, it's just interesting that at different periods that I have been able to do that and then I haven't been able to do it. And then Nick does Abhyanga every single morning. I don't do it every morning. And the reason being is because it's summer right now in Australia. And when I oil up, I then get oil all over the furniture. And my husband's like, stop sitting on the white couch. (laughs) So I've had to like carry towels around with me and like put towels. No, I'm just joking but it is such a beautiful ritual. Those four things, dry body brushing, tongue scraping, oil pulling, and abhyanga, they're just four things that you can do every day that are really an act of self-love. And I'm all about self-love and they're so easy to do. They're free. They don't have to take long and they really do make you feel incredible. So thank you for sharing your beautiful little morning routine with us. Of course, yes.
1: And and the whole point of it is just to better understand your body. So even you noticing like, oh, dry brushing when I'm feeling more vata, it's, it's making my vata imbalance. You're noticing, oh, my vata is higher. Whereas if you didn't do that, maybe you wouldn't have even been in tuned with that. Absolutely.
0: Okay. So now I would love to hear what are three things you're most recently grateful for? I'm so grateful to be home. I was just traveling for
1: a very long time, just coming back into my routine and you know having space i'm I'm grateful to live by the ocean and its calming energy and I'm grateful to incarnate at this time where we can have conversations. You know I'm here in Los Angeles, you're in Australia, and we can be talking at the same time and It's just so amazing to be living in this day and age with all of these you know innovations and this communication that we're able to have. And I know a lot of people complain about social media and stuff, but I'm just so grateful for it
0: connecting with me, with people like you. Oh, me too, honey. Me too. It's great, isn't it? Yes. Okay. So I've got three little rapid fire questions for you now. In your opinion, what is one of the most important things that we can do for our health? Start your day with warm water.
1: So many people wake up and they drink something cold. They drink iced tea, iced coffee, iced water. And it's so bad for your digestive system because if your digestion is like a fire and you're waking up and you're pouring ice over that fire, the fire is going to be depleted for the rest of the day. So you're not going to be absorbing your food. You're not going to be getting the nutrients in. You're going to feel bloated or or sick. So start your day with warm water. Just doing that is going to change your life.
0: Yeah, I agree. I actually never drink ice cold water because it just doesn't agree with me. So my water is always room temperature or lukewarm, and that just feels good on my digestive system.
1: Mm, yes. And, and it's amazing because restaurants just bring in ice, ice water the first thing you, when you sit down. And I did some research on that. And some, some people are saying it's because the restaurant industry knew that it would make you feel more full. So they wanted you to start with ice water. So when your food came and you ate, you're like, oh, wow, that was such a great meal. I'm so full. And you feel like you got a good value. You got your money's worth. So that's kind of where the ice water before the meal thing started. But think, if you're feeling really full, that's, that's not a good
0: sign. Your body's not happy. That is so interesting. I always wondered why they did that. I thought it was mainly just so that you had something as soon as you sat down. So you felt like, you know, you were getting something. But I would never put ice in my water and I always drink room temperature, lukewarm. I actually don't drink with my food ever because that puts out my digestive fire. I try and drink away from food. So. Morning tea and lunch is when I drink a lot of my water for the day. That's perfect. Yeah, you're so on it. A plus for me, hey? Yes, (laughs) absolutely. All right. Now I'd love to hear what is one of the most important things that we can do for more wealth in our life? More wealth. Ooh. Um, changing your mindset about it. You know, I think so many of
1: us harbor these beliefs that, you know, more money, more problems or, you know, rich people have so much conflict in their lives and I would never want to be like that. And you're telling the universe, like, I don't want wealth, not over here. So just having, you know, a, a better self dialogue of you know, money can bring me a lot of happiness. Money can buy me plane tickets and get me massages. It can, you know, if my bag is overweight at the airport, it can afford that. And just giving gratitude to money because I think so many of us, we, when we become more spiritual, we're like, money's the root of all evil and we throw it away. And just knowing that it's energy,
0: however we think of it, that's the way it's going to show up in our lives. Amen, sister. Love that. All right. And what is one of the most important things that we can do for more love in our life? So many things, but I think just, you know, fully
1: receiving that person, whatever whatever state that they're in, whether it's sadness or confusion or happiness or, you know, it's it's another person with like their own range of everything. And they're not always going to be where you are at that time, but just, you know, getting out of your own story and just receiving them. And if they're sad, if they're happy, if they're excited, just being there for them and letting them fully go through that emotion is such a powerful thing to do in a relationship.
0: Mm, Sometimes so challenging, but so powerful.
1: Right? You're like, wait, I'm happy and you're sad. I don't want to go down to you. But it's like, you know, just feel that sadness with them for a second. That's all they really want. An emotion can only be felt truly for 90 seconds. So if you go there, you'll be able to
0: come out of it. Mm, so true. What a great reminder that it can only be felt for 90 seconds. Just feel it all, let it wash over you like a wave and then come back to the present moment. Absolutely. Babe, this has been so amazing. I have one last question for you, and that is, what can I do personally and the listeners do to serve you today? How can we serve you? Oh, um, you know,
1: just reaching out if you have any questions checking out my book i have a quiz you can take on my website um where you can discover your dosha i've broken them up between the dosha of the mind and the body so take that quiz feel free to reach out if you have any questions share ayurveda with your friends and family and fulfill your dharma that would
0: actually be the way you could help me the most fulfill your dharma so the world can come back into balance Oh, I love that so much. Thank you so much, beautiful. Is there anything else that you want to share or touch on that we haven't spoken about? That was everything. So perfect. Divinely orchestrated. Oh, babe, this has been so, so useful and so powerful. And I'm so grateful that you're out there fulfilling your Dharma and sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge with the world. I absolutely love Ayurveda and I am so grateful there is pioneers like you and Deepak out there that are really bringing it to the millennials. And I can't wait to get your new book. So I just wanted to thank you for being here, for showing up, for doing your work and for sharing it with the world. I am so grateful. Oh, well, thank
1: you so much for having me.
0: How epic was that? I love how she just distilled that so easily for us to digest. And I really want to encourage you guys to go out and get her book and really dive deeper into Ayurveda for yourself to really help yourself understand you and your body on a deeper level. So I don't know about you, but I got so much out of today's episode. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire even more people together. And don't forget to tell me on social media, either on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, who you would like me to have on the show. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 67. And you can also check out all my other podcast episodes there too. Also, just a reminder, you can now order my second book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex. And all you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy today. Thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best and shiniest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, I can think of a hundred people because everyone could benefit from this please share it with them right now send them a text an email do whatever you've got to do to get this episode into their ears and until next time my darling don't forget that love is sexy healthy is liberating and wealthy isn't a dirty word